You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The deadline is set, and if you take the bus or sea bus in Metro Vancouver, aside from blue buses in West Vancouver, you should probably have a backup plan come Friday. The union has issued strike notice, and while it has ruled out a complete shutdown, there will most likely be some service disruptions. Catherine Urquhart has more on the potential impact and the main sticking points preventing an agreement. Well, I, don't, I, I can't give you a comment on this is under the union. Yeah. Drivers are saying little yeah. after 99% of bus and sea bus employees voted to strike. But transit riders are bracing themselves after learning 72-hour strike notice has been issued. It's going to affect my school and my college and all that stuff. I'll definitely have to take a taxi and then uh, on top of that it will be very much expensive, I'm thinking. Why are more than 5,000 workers on the brink of taking job action? Wages, benefits and working conditions were key. Thousands of members came out uh, in secret ballot vote and they voted 99% in favour of job action if we couldn't get those concerns addressed. The employer, Coast Mountain Bus Company, told Global News, CNBC sees the conditions our bus and C-bus operators, as well as its customers, face. CNBC has been implementing unprecedented and significant investments to bus service over the last three years. Attaboy, Bob. The last strike happened in 2001, when workers were off the job for four months. A full-scale walkout not planned this time. We've ruled out a complete shutdown, but we're looking at other forms of job action. That could include rolling strikes, it could include an overtime ban, it could include a uniform ban, uh, work to rule. There's a lot of options available to us. Still, many are concerned. People who are homeless or low income rely on the bus, like, um, like many people do. But when, it, when that's not available to them, they have no other option and they're stuck. Talks are planned for Wednesday and Thursday. Not impacted by the dispute, SkyTrain, HandyDart, the West Vancouver Blue Bus, and the West Coast Express. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more. Catherine touched on it, Keith, but many people remember the chaos that happened mm. last time during a strike. Uh, is the government going to get involved in this one? Well, you know, we don't get as many strikes these days as we did in the 1990s when the NDP last formed government in this province. But strikes such as this do pose a unique challenge to the NDP, given their historically strong relationship with organized labor. But the NDP in the 90s did legislate the end to a couple of school strikes. So we put the question to Labor Minister Harry Baines today. How long will he sit on the sidelines if this thing drags on? He's playing it safe so far. Here's the minister. I think the last thing that the parties would, uh, would uh, need is uh, government or any third party uh, even give a hint of, of interfering in a pre-collective bargain. I will not do that. You always, uh, you know, monitor the situation, see how it is going and uh, uh, where everything is. But again, I think, you know, I'm really, really hopeful that uh, parties will be able to resolve their differences. And that's what the pre-collective bargaining is all about. So seemingly out of nowhere, the NDP government now has on its hands significant labor disputes. You've got the bus, uh, the transit dispute we've just been talking about. Also the school strike or the support workers strike here in Saanich at the school district there has schools behind picket lines. And of course, we still haven't resolved the ongoing contract impasse with the BC Teachers Federation. So labor suddenly front and center for the NDP government. I don't think it expected that just a few months ago. All right. Thanks for that. Keith Baldry in Victoria.
More tonight on the staggering losses at ICBC, the company losing more than a billion dollars for the fiscal year. That deficit is delaying a move to modernize the broker system, one of a number of potential cost-saving solutions. Richard Zussman explains why and what else is on the table to deal with the budget crunch. We bank online, file our taxes online, can buy our groceries online, and pretty much everything else. But when it comes to renewing your ICBC insurance, for now the province is applying the brakes to online. It hasn't been a priority. The priority has been getting costs under control at ICBC. But as we move forward and stabilize ICBC's books, that's absolutely something we're looking at. Stabilizing ICBC is taking longer than the province expected, with losses piling up. And beyond the financials, EB says brokers are needed now more than ever because of the massive rate structure changes kicked off in September. Uh, brokers are more important than ever to talk people through these changes. In the 2016-17 fiscal year, which was 15 months for accounting purposes, brokers were paid $510 million from ICBC. The next year, it was $434 million, and last year, it was $490 million. For 46 years, we've had an NDP-run monopoly in ICBC, and now they don't want to modernize anything. We say give consumers a choice so they can have a cheaper way to buy auto insurance. Brokers are paid up to 19% for optional insurance renewals. The current government cut that rate from 19.95%. If we can um, perfect uh, some online services, that will reduce the number of transactions in broker offices. But it's pretty clearly clearly broker offices are here to stay. A move online would come with additional costs, including web infrastructure and a call support center. One ICBC expert says there are better ways to find cost savings at the public insurer. My preference would have been to move directly to a no-fault model for insurance in BC, um, based on the models in Saskatchewan and Manitoba. But the no-fault model is not something the province is interested in when it comes to putting out the ICBC dumpster fire, a metaphor that is now, thanks to the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, turned into a reality. One ratepayers hope will eventually be put out. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Police need your help identifying two suspects who stole cash from a pair of ATMs in Kamloops. RCMP say on October 22nd, just before 4 in the morning, the front door of Save on Foods in Valley View was smashed open. Two masked suspects entered and broke into the ATM using a gas-powered saw. Then the next day, just after 1 in the morning, a Rexall store was broken into and the ATM was cut open with the same type of saw. Our CMP say surveillance video shows it was the same suspects in both thefts. Anyone who can identify the suspects is asked to contact Kamloops, RCMP or Crime Stoppers. A dispute between staff and a customer at a store in Burnaby escalated into an ugly racist tirade that was all caught on video. Grace Key has more on what happened and what witnesses say made the woman's behavior even more shocking. Shut up. You're rude. Speak English Canada. This shocking video has been posted on social media. It shows a woman going off on a racist tirade after a transaction at Shoppers Drug Mart in Burnaby. You bring your manager here, you idiot, or go speak Chinese with your other staff and but when you continue watching the video, you see something even more disturbing. The woman who's screaming out foul language has a young boy with her. 
Sounds like she might have been having a bad day. The incident happened on Monday. The video already has thousands of comments and shares on Facebook, many showing sympathy not only for the workers, but also the young boy. I just wanted to hug him and be like, it's okay, you don't have to wind up like your parents. He was probably embarrassed for his mom, but at the same time, didn't know what else to do, so... Obviously not setting a good example in front of him. Shut up! Loblaw, the parent company for shoppers, issued a statement reading, The incident was both disappointing and unacceptable and has no place in our stores. We believe fully in two-way respect between our employees and our customers and were appalled to see that behavior, adding they've offered additional support to the store. What the hell is going on? If we start fights with all your people, then get him in the back. That is rude. The customer who took the video believes the dispute was over pricing or an exchange, and at one point, the workers assisting her spoke in their native language. The customer says he shared the video to show the woman there are consequences to this type of behavior. Grace Key, Global News. A reminder of the dangers of transporting pets unsecured in pickup trucks. This is Chili, a seven-month-old German shepherd. She suffered horrific injuries when she fell out of the back of a truck in Williams Lake. As a result, she lost a leg. The SPCA is reminding people it is illegal to transport an unsecured pet in the back of a pickup truck. Chili's care is expected to reach more than $4,200. Right now, though, after opposition to an on-land work camp for the wood fiber LNG project near Squamish, the company is now seeking approval of a new option to house its workers. Ted Chernecki has more on the Flotel and how the company says it will address concerns about environmental impact. Cleanup work continues at the old wood fiber site, seven kilometers south of Squamish. They're getting the property ready environmentally and physically for a $1.3 to $1.6 billion LNG project. Soon there'll be a force of up to 600 workers for wood fiber, but where to house them? We took a hard look at it, listened to the community, and thought uh, a flotel was a, a better solution where workers are actually at the site. This is something that... Uh, is needed. I, there's just no possible way to house hundreds of people in our community without displacing our residents. Housing construction is booming in Squamish. The trades workers who can't find accommodation here commute. In addition to the 600 workers coming to build LNG, there are several hundred more from Fortis to build the gas line. The solution? A barge stacked with APCO trailers. It's something more than just trailers on top of it. I mean, it'll have uh, some recreational area. We'll have a full kitchen. Um, we'll have uh, sewage uh, containment, uh, which will be taken away and processed, fresh water uh, treatment. This isn't the first time this idea has been floated. A company called Bridgman's has been retrofitting cruise ships into flotels. One was used in Kitimat for the Rio Tinto project. Whatever happens at Woodfiber will need Squamish Nation's approval. What was really important for our council is that we were looking at the uh, calls for justice from the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Inquiry, which talks a lot about these types of worker camps and the impacts that they have wow. um, to Indigenous women and girls um, in the local communities. And so we're, we're, we're going to be paying strictly attention to um, ensuring that the highest standards are implemented in anything that happens within our territory. Workers will be on board for two weeks and off for one. It still needs to be determined if they'll have access to Squamish. Some merchants want them to spend their money here. Others opposed to LNG don't. Ted Chernecki, Global News. We talked earlier with Keith about labor unrest in the province. Classes were cancelled for a second straight day at Saanich schools 
as support workers continued their strike. Our Kylie Stanton sp uh, spoke with a family feeling the impact of the job action on both ends, with one parent on the picket lines and a child they fear is getting lost in the shuffle. Make it fit. Day two, no school, and this family is already feeling the impact. Financially, uh, emotionally, <laughs> logistically. The Halber Beauchards are just one of thousands in a district where school support workers are striking. At issue, a massive wage disparity, in some cases by as much as $4 an hour, something this father, an educational assistant, knows all too well. It's a very frustrating. We have a life to live. We have a mortgage to pay. We have kids that we're trying to help. For Halber, the job never ends. His son Aaron has autism spectrum disorder. He is now homeschooled after the district was unable to meet his needs. But the family says theirs is not an isolated case. This strike is uh, an acute presentation of a symptom that's pervasive in the entire school system, no matter what district. Instead, they're paying $35,000 a year out of pocket for Aaron's education. That was a stretch before the strike. Not knowing um, if we could keep the payments up is, is a really big stress. Not knowing if or when the strike will end is simply terrifying. The political football will go on without actually addressing children and families' needs, and that as a result, we could lose our home, we could uh, lose our jobs. It's, it's a very real problem. It needs a solution now. Currently, there is no word on when the two parties will be returning to the bargaining table. But the province says it's ready and willing. With 53 other support staff, collective agreements uh, under this mandate, and we want to do the exact same for Sanders. So we're open to discussions. In the meantime, Halber plans to be on the picket line, knowing he's not only fighting for himself, but the support his family so desperately needs and deserves. And it's hopefully something we can work out sooner than later. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Saanich. A safety warning tonight for anglers fishing the last of this season's 30-pounders out of the Ka Capilano River. One of the best spots to fish is also one of the most dangerous. A man drowned at Cable Pool on Sunday despite attempts by his friends and first responders to rescue him. Aaron MacArthur reports on the simple precaution that might have saved him. Not two days after a man died here, anglers back out on the Capilano and not one of them wearing a life jacket. Despite the fast-moving, ice-cold water, people precariously perched on the cliffs above Cable Pool, happy to think it won't happen to them. I think that there's a culture around fishing on the river that uh, historically people don't wear a lot of life jackets. We really want to shift that culture. On Sunday, an angler was in the river, lost his footing and was swept downstream. By the time he was pulled out, he was hypothermic and suffering head trauma. He died in hospital. While the North Van Fire Department says people need flotation, not all life jackets are created equal. These are meant for this faster moving water, so protects the user, keeps you more upright, more buoyant, and also doesn't tear like the other one too that auto inflates as well. The family of the man who died Sunday came to the Capilano River Tuesday to light candles and lay flowers on the rocks. A tragic accident and likely a preventable one too. It could have been preventable, maybe, but uh, definitely wearing a PFD or a life jacket would have aided in, in, in his support for sure. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
Halloween is coming up on Thursday, and first responders are reminding everyone to stay safe. Some aspiring young officers, firefighters, and paramedics, all helping officials in Vancouver share some key tips today to ensure a fun night for everyone. They want kids and adults to be visible, use reflective tape, glow sticks, and flashlights, and stick to well-lit areas. Avoid, if you can, wearing masks. Opt for face paint instead. Police also want people behind the wheel to slow down and be extra mindful of their surroundings. If you are a driver, please be patient with the children who are out trick-or-treating. They're not paying as much attention as you are. They're gathering their candy, darting in and out of traffic, and really just not seeing the cars. So we're asking cars to, to be a, a little bit more aware of the Halloween trick-or-treaters. Oh, getting so close to Halloween, the spooktacular events are really ramping up now. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is in North Vancouver with another great option. Christy? That's right. It seems to be a bit of a hot spot here in North Vancouver. A lot of different haunted houses. This one, Dover Court Crypt. I'm here with Liz and Mark. They're the residents here that put this all together. And today was scare-free zone, or, or scare-free day. And I actually was able to go through because they have the lights on. It's really interesting. They've done an amazing job. Liz, tell us what people can expect because I know when it gets dark, it gets scary. Oh, yeah. Um, so tonight there's no one in it and most of the stuff isn't anything. But uh, on our full scare nights um we have i think six to ten actors depending on the evening we've got the 16 foot long claustrophobia tunnel um there's a whole section in the garden there's every like uh, jump scare you can imagine um it's oh man the screams and stuff you hear and like most of the screams being not our actors but the people (laughs) oh man it's good (laughs) that's awesome and how long did it take you to put it together Well, this year we managed to get it up in about a week and two weeks, uh, two weekends, uh, which is not enough time. Uh, Usually uh, average about three weeks. And uh, thankfully we've got everything stored from last year. So we just kind of tweak it a little. We borrowed some from Edgemont Haunt. Mm -hmm. We lent him some stuff. And uh, yeah, so. Awesome. There is so much detail here. It really is fantastic. I can imagine what it would be like at dark. So uh, it's open all uh, Halloween, 6.30 to 9. Then they have fireworks at 9.15. You can just Google the location. But Dover Court and McGinnis here in Lynn Valley. Thank you so much. Of course it's free, but they ask for donations for the beer. Uh, firefighter burn fun and you can also get popcorn which is great all right you guys back to you a little snack (laughs) thanks thanks christy a terrifying look at what firefighters are up against in california with fires burning on both ends of the state right now these pictures of the kincaid fire in the north come from inside a fire truck driving into that blaze More than 80,000 homes in the area are still under threat. And while our province confirms that so far, B.C. has not been asked to send in resources, potential hurricane force gusts are expected in some spots tonight. That's right. Weather conditions are critical for the exhausted firefighters battling the flames as tens of thousands remain under emergency evacuation. Tonight, with major fires on both ends of California, the worst may still be to come. We have the most significant wind event in Los Angeles of the year. 
that will be starting this evening. The biggest blaze, the Kincaid Fire, burning in Sonoma County, growing overnight, now more than 75,000 acres, threatening more than 90,000 structures. The Kincaid Fire has now been burning six days. 150,000 people remain under evacuation orders. Really frustrated. Just not knowing what to do. Yeah, living paycheck to paycheck and, uh, you know, not having enough money to go somewhere else. Frustration mounting with utility company PG&E, which has been cutting off power. Tonight, 1.5 million are in the dark. The company's equipment already believed to be the cause of three fires. And in Southern California, the Getty Fire, now 15% contained. The firefighters right now literally in a race against time. They're no longer battling those huge, brilliant flames, but smoldering pieces, hot spots that could ignite the next fire once the winds arrive. Tonight, wind gusts could reach 80 miles an hour in the mountains surrounding L.A. We're very concerned about the events tonight. Ralph Terrazas is the chief of the L.A. Fire Department. What's your big fear tonight when the winds kick up as forecast? Well, my big fear at this fire here, the Getty Fire, is not completely cold. And that the embers are going to blow downwind and start another fire. 90-year-old Nola Highland says she had no other way out. Were you able to grab anything or bring anything with you? My purse and some money. That's it. With another dangerous night expected, officials are pleading with residents under evacuation orders not to return home. The smoky skies from that Kincaid fire made for a dramatic backdrop for a pair of newlyweds who tied the knot in wine country on Saturday. Their wedding planner supplying the protective medical masks for the couple as they posed for photos in a vineyard. The photographer who took that stunning shot which has now gone viral, fears this is the new normal. She says this is the fourth wedding she's photographed in the last three years that's been evacuated or disrupted by wildfires. Well, Toronto police are facing serious questions tonight about how a handcuffed man wound up with a gun at his feet while sitting in the back of a police cruiser. And as Global's Karen Lieberman reports, this isn't the first time that's happened. Watch as a handcuffed suspect maneuvers a handgun out of his pants in the back of a Toronto police cruiser. In reality, it really wasn't um, the brightest move that the, uh, the arrested person could have done. The man was arrested Sunday after officers responded to a call for an impaired driver. An investigation began, then police say a pat-down search was conducted. The suspect was handcuffed and taken in for alcohol-related offences. There's no such thing as a routine arrest. There's no such thing as a routine traffic stop anymore. It was during transport that officers apparently heard something hit the floor. Lo and behold, they have a, a, a handgun hidden on them. It's, it's very disturbing, but I guess this is the new norm in the city of Toronto. 38-year-old Ali Shobeg of Mississauga now faces nine criminal charges, eight of which are firearm-related. Certainly the backseat of the police car is not the best place to dispose of evidence. This former Toronto Police detective notes pat-downs are not foolproof and officers have rules to follow in the field. The courts have deemed searches can only be conducted in certain manners. And if they're out in public, that entails just a pat-down search or a frisk search. Generally, it's, it, it, they're thorough, but they're not perfect. In March of last year, we showed you this exclusive video of another arrest in Toronto involving a firearm in the back of a cruiser. As the officer calmly explains, a warrant is out for the suspect's arrest. He can be seen shuffling an apparent handgun out of his clothing, wiggling it until it falls to the floor.
you don't want to think that to somebody who's inside a police car or anywhere else for that matter has a gun, especially after they've been searched. So I guess there will have to be an investigation as indications are there will. Toronto Police issued a safety notice to officers to inform them of the method of concealment that was used in this incident. As for the officers involved in the arrest, the service will investigate to determine whether this is a training or a disciplinary matter. Karen Lieberman, Global News. A new report into the deadly Grenville Tower fire two years ago has found systematic failures in the London Fire Brigade's response. 72 people were killed in the apartment building fire. The report suggests there would have been fewer lives lost had brigade commanders evacuated the tower earlier, rather than telling residents to stay inside and wait to be rescued. The report is part of the first phase of the public inquiry into the tragedy. A second phase will focus on the building's design and the cladding materials that acted as fuel for the flames. A 6.6 magnitude earthquake has caused major destruction in the southern Philippines, in the same region that was hit by another deadly tremor less than two weeks ago. The shaking lasted for several minutes on the island of Mindanao, sending people running out into the streets. At least six people are dead, including a teenage boy who was killed by a falling wall as he tried to escape his school. The quake also triggered landslides, killing several more people and injuring dozens of others. The CEO of Boeing is facing tough questions as he testified on Capitol Hill about two fatal crashes involving the 737 MAX. Dennis Muhlenberg was confronted by families of some of the victims at a Senate hearing today. Investigators link the crashes to a software design flaw that caused the planes to nosedive. Muhlenberg told lawmakers he was aware a test pilot raised questions about the safety of the 737 MAX before the second fatal crash in March. He admitted the manufacturer made mistakes, but he vowed to fix them. Why didn't we ground that? aircraft a lot sooner so another tragedy wouldn't happen. If we knew everything back then that we know now, we would have made a different decision. What matters is that we get to the bottom of this, find the people who are involved in the certification, and have them all be accountable. For now, the entire 737 MAX fleet remains grounded, and there is no timeline for when they will be cleared to fly. Hollywood filmmakers and actors are fuming over a new function that Netflix is testing. It allows viewers to slow programs down to half the normal speed or speed up to one and a half times faster to condense their viewing time. Some content, uh, some content creators hated, claiming that it strips away the artistic intent and the cinematic experience. It's just a trial feature right now and so far is only available on the mobile app for Android phones and tablets. In Health Matters tonight, Participation is releasing its first ever report card on physical activity for adults. And we are nowhere near being on the honor roll. Canadians over the age of 18 get a D for overall physical activity, with nearly a third of people sedentary for almost 10 hours a day. And when it comes to getting the recommended 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous movement each week, we received an F, with just 16% of adults meeting the national guidelines. Local fire officials are testing out some new software that could help save firefighters' lives. The technology can not only detect invisible threats to the crew, 
but also detect where they are inside smoky buildings. Linda Aylesworth explains. Running into a burning building is dangerous for any number of reasons. Right now we, we don't know uh, what they're being exposed to, we don't know how long they're being exposed to it, we don't know where they are actually uh, in the buildings. But that might soon be changing. Fire chiefs from all over Metro Vancouver gathered on this day to learn about situational awareness software. We've been developing this technology in partnership with the Department of Homeland Security. Today, four firefighters suited up with a technology will try it out in a controlled burning building. Doing live fire is exciting as it is, and knowing that we're wearing stuff that could potentially change the fire service is really exciting. The N5 sensor he's wearing can detect and measure up to 16 different gases. What we're seeing now is that 86% of the line of duty deaths are caused by cancer, and these are the cumulative exposures to the toxins over the duration of a firefighter's career. Another sensor monitors vital signs. Just checking status. And this one could solve another major problem. The fire is extended. They do make radio contact uh, as frequently as possible, but we don't really know where they are. So if they were to fall through a floor, we don't know where they are. But with this technology, their exact location, including what level they're on, whether or not they're standing or prone, is available real-time on a map. It's fantastic. And, you know, anything to try and uh, keep our firefighters uh, healthier and, and safer, that, that's what this is all about. This is the first time such technology has been tried out by the firefighter industry. The hope that today's exercise might lead to a pilot project, which in turn might one day lead to all Metro Vancouver firefighters benefiting from it. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Out this early trick-or-treater, a surveillance camera catching a black bear strolling up the front steps of a home in Maple Ridge. And while there wasn't a bowl of candy, there was a tasty pumpkin that the bear sniffed out, picked up and sauntered away with. Tasty snack there. Also tonight, a herd of goats great at climbing up, not so good at climbing down. Their rescue coming up right after Christie's forecast. They look pretty relaxed. Though. They're pretty chill up there. <laughs> I don't know about later. All right. Uh, Christy Gordon is out at the latest scary site, spooky site in North mm -hmm. Vancouver. I don't know what happens on the North Shore, Christy, but there's something in the water. I know. <laughs> Yeah, there sure is. So we're at Dover Court Crypt, which is at Dover Court and McGinnis. But I'll tell you, if you Google uh, haunted houses in North Van, you'll come up with quite a few. There's another one on Belmont Street that uh, fundraises for the Ronald McDonald House. There's lots of options, that's for sure. Lots of people showing up here now, which is great. Now that it's dark, this is definitely beyond my uh, ability to go through. <laughs> it was nice and light earlier, but there's lots of people, even young kids coming through. So this is one you can check out with your kids. All right, let's have a look at this Halloween forecast. Yes, spooky forecast. We do have a bit of a change, and that is that it could be a little bit cooler than anticipated for your Halloween trick-or-treating hours. So dry but cool, likely 6 degrees at around 6 p.m., dropping to about 8 by the end of the evening, and we could see a bit of fog, which would add to the spookiness of Halloween. Uh, did you see how cold it was this morning? Yes, right across the province. So steamy. I like this shot from Kelly in Black Creek. Steam coming off of the rider this morning, and the horse, of course, and 
this is sort of like steam, but uh, Cowichan River getting fog because of the difference in the temperature of the air to the water. This is how cold it will be tonight. Thankfully, no winds to drop the wind chill or drop it the feels like. So those are your regular temperatures. We are going to see a band move down, bringing a chance of flurries into some regions by Thursday morning. For our region, that means a bit of cloud for Thursday, Halloween Thursday. But otherwise, for your day tomorrow, mainly the coastal regions, north coast will see rainfall. Other areas looking at sunshine for one more day and across the south coast, that's the same. Uh, we are expecting sunshine and dry conditions for the next several days. It's not until Sunday, everyone, that we're expecting a change. So that's the good news. Dry for Halloween. That's all anyone wants for this week. All no right. doubt. Thank you, Christy. Don't get scared. That's right. Uh, listen, goats, especially mountain goats, are known for being sure-footed, but apparently not for their sense of direction. A herd became stuck on the side of a steep mountain in the Italian Alps. After 15 days trapped on a precipice, this weekend a rescue team was able to reach them and bring them to safety using ropes and harnesses. Five of the six goats were moved by the team, while one of the animals was able to make it down on its own. Glad they got them. Weird. You know they're going to go right back up there again. Oh, yeah, they now that they know. That's what they do. You can hear the cheers throughout Vancouver. Oh, oh loud. Very exciting mm -hmm. October so far. All right, long way to go. The uh, Canucks goaltending and defense have been very good so far this year. But what we are really noticing is the offensive fireworks. It's been a celebration of red lights at Rogers Arena, averaging over five goals per home game. That's the best start, I think, for any Canucks team ever at home, even better than the uh, teams that had Pavel Bure on it. And in last night's 7-2 win over Florida, they spread the stats around. All 12 forwards had at least one point. That is rare at any level of hockey, even beer league hockey. But this is very rarefied air Canuck Nation is breathing right now. Horvath tips the puck past Uyghur and gets to himself, puts it to the crease, they score! In their last three games, the Canucks have scored at least five goals. Twice, they've scored five in one period. The last time a Vancouver team had three games in a row with at least five goals each, December of 2011, a team that won the President's Trophy. And like that team from eight years ago, the current Canucks aren't just getting goals from their top line. For center, scores! It's, it's great, like you need that. And it's, uh, it's part of the reason we're getting so many goals every night. Um, every line is on the same page right now. We're trying to buy into this process that we've talked about as a team and, um, and the results are showing. <laughs> Winning is the best thing. Uh, and, uh, and, and it doesn't come easy just because we started the season good doesn't mean it, we, it will go along. It's hard work. Uh, stay humble, and, uh, and yeah, it's hard work. Last Friday, they blew a 5-1 lead after two periods and lost to Washington. Last night, the 5-1 lead was after the first period. But the lesson was learned. Never take the foot off the gas. Putting up five in the first um, just sets the tone uh, for the rest of the game. And obviously, we learned a lot from last game. So, um, you know, our main focus wasn't, wasn't letting that one slip. You know, we wanted to keep our foot on the gas and uh, finish strong. And even though the Canucks have had the easiest schedule in the NHL so far this season, they have beaten the champions, and the Panthers had points in their last eight games before running into Vancouver. We can hang with the, the teams that are playing well right now. And, um, you know, we want to be a playoff team. We want to go deep in the playoffs. And, 
it's just going to get harder as the season goes on. So just building that momentum now and, and riding it through the season. Today, the Canucks called up defenseman Ashton Sautner from Utica. They sent Oscar Fantenberg down. Uh, Vancouver has a three-game road trip to play, all in California. Kings tomorrow, Ducks Friday, Sharks Saturday. Tonight, the Sharks are in Boston. Look at this. This three-year-old boy is battling brain cancer. All the Bruins giving him high fives. He's winning the fight, too, I might add. All right. First period, his favorite team scores. David Pasternak on the power play. one nothing. It's now 3-1. Chris Wagner straight in to the back of the net. 5-1 Bruins win over San Jose. Well, it's another year of inductions for the BC Sports Hall of Fame. The 2020 class has in it baseball pitcher Jeff Francis. I hope I don't miss anybody. Cyclist Alex Stita. Canucks goalie Kurt McLean. Lions defensive lineman Brent Johnson. Harry White, Bill Mitchell, and Valerie Johnson as builders and coaches. The 79-80 UVic men's basketball team. Cleve Deanshaw for media. I like Cleve. He's a good guy. Kathy Newman, Bennett Award winner, and hockey's Robin Bawa is in as a pioneer. Oh, a big, strong kid coming after Cullen. Cullen saw him, sidestepped him, and then bang. You know, in minor hockey, then the 80s and junior, uh, you know, I guess I was the only, you know, South Asian, you know, kid playing hockey, you know, in, in junior. So, you know, you, sometimes you suck out like a sore thumb. Sometimes you didn't, even, you didn't even get noticed, right? So A sign on a motorcycle tells him that at 1 minute 47 seconds ahead, he is technically in the yellow leader's jersey and no North American rider has ever worn it. Tour de France, yellow jersey, you know, finishing the Tour de France was an amazing feeling, but you know, when I think about, again, going back, it's those first races when I started as a junior and traveling around, you know, sleeping four guys in a hotel room and, and, and just doing all the fun stuff that we did back then that we didn't have a care in the world. There was no pressure. We just went out and had fun. Giles in trouble, and he's wrapped up and I think I was a player uh, that uh, foremost wanted to go out and I competed very hard and I wanted to win every game I was out there and I probably didn't celebrate uh, um, the wins as much as I should and I took the losses too hard. You know, I'm just honored and humbled today. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful uh, uh, feeling. You know, I was... Uh, when I got inducted into the, uh, the BC Hockey Hall of Fame, I thought that was the best thing ever. But, but now to do it here in the, the BC Sports Hall of Fame and be being with all these different uh, athletes and different sports is quite a feeling. You were born in the same hospital, days apart, yeah, yeah. weeks Kirk, apart. Kirk and I figured out we're both, like, I don't tell many people, but yeah, I'm, I was born oh, in Scarborough just like you. Oh, yeah, thank you. Is it you your birthday today? Hey, oh, this is not about me. Finally tonight, a medical wonder, a remarkable operation, which the patient shared on social media. Intricate brain surgery streamed live while the young woman remained conscious. Ann Thompson shows us how they did it. It's incredible to watch. Bananas. 25-year-old Jenna Shart identifies pictures and numbers. Two. While on the other side of the curtain, doctors operate on her brain live on Facebook. Their goal to remove a mass of blood vessels that led to a seizure that impacted Jenna's speech as the occupational therapy student worked with stroke patients. If this can be some kind of learning opportunity for somebody else, I mean, I think something good's going to come out of this. I don't know what yet, but I do believe that. 
I watched the operation with NBC medical correspondent Dr. John Torres, streamed from Methodist Dallas Medical Center. Why are they having Jenna look at things on the iPad? The surgeons are probing parts of her brain when she does that, and if she can say it correctly, then they know that's a safe part of the brain. They can go in and they can do the operation in that area. Her skull is open as they do this. I mean, can she feel that her skull is open? She can't feel any of that. Our brain does not have pain receptors in it in itself. Then Jenna carries on a conversation even smiling as surgeons remove the mass. The doctors say she should have a complete recovery, much to her proud parents' relief. She's tired, but she said she just, she goes, I don't feel like I had brain surgery. (laughs) Using technology to cut out the fear from a very dangerous and delicate operation. Ann Thompson, NBC News, New York. I wouldn't want them to stream my brain surgery because they (laughs) They'd open it and there wouldn't be. Oh. Anyway. Not true at all. Uh, let's very quickly check in with Christy, who is uh, at the crypt tonight. Dover Crypt. Yeah, it's a little bit the brain surgery, a little bit like what you would see inside here. I'll tell you, there's some very brave young kids going in there. I would not go in this time. <laughs> but uh, at least dry conditions for Halloween, you guys, and a car coming in behind me. you got to get out of the way here. Uh, busy neighborhood. All right. Thanks, Christy. Happy birthday, Chris. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Marcia. Thanks, everybody. Feeling the love. (laughs) 